This month on Devil Times 5, we're looking at some of the best movies to come from the mind of Stephen King, including your top five. Yes, this is the Devil Times 5 Horror Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this King episode. We're going to be going King mad later and talking about a load of good King films. Christ. I'm Cliff and I'm joined, of course, by CJ Lines, Emily McQuaid and Phil Jarrod. Hello. Hey. And we've got a new devil this month in the shape of comedian Bryony No. Hiya. Uh, welcome aboard, Bryony. Good to have you with us. How have you found prepping for this month's theme? Uh, I found it delightful. I've just been in bed watching films and just revisiting all the spooky stuff that happens to normal people. <laughs> Good. Well, get used to it because there's going to be a lot of this over the next few months. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you stick with us which I hope you do. <laughs> right, as always, we'll start things off by talking about our highs and lows from the last month of horror viewing. Um, and we'll start with you, Bryony. What has been your horror highlight and low light? Um, do you know what? Rewatching The Mist was the highlight. It kind of reminded me of a lot of the sort of horror Monster of the Week films and um, got me rewatching The Blob. So not the 1988 one, but the original one with um, Steve McQueen and um, how a town gets taken over by Jam. So yeah. it wasn't ter- it wasn't terrifying, but it it, it warmed my cockles. <laughs> yeah, I, I much prefer Chuck Russell's version. A lot of gory fun. And your low light? <laughs> um, probably I'm gonna say Society. What? Um, I know. What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was. I, I think I went in expecting a, a plot, um, and it was kind of I've stuck with it, and I watched it to the end. The end was great. But it was, again, you know when you go in watching a film and you sort of get sold something like mm. ABC is going to happen and it was just like, nothing's going to happen. And then so you'd been, something... Had you been told uh, what happens at the end? No, yeah, well, it got... On the front of the DVD cover is what happens at the end, like the guy yeah. with the face in the butt. Spoilers, right. but like... It was, yeah, so uh, I kind of hate it when DVDs do that because it ruined Wreck for me as well because the front of the DVD is basically the ending... Of wreck, so yeah, went in, expected a plot, yeah. got bum stuff instead. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me so often. <laughs> I love society, I thought it was a wicked film. I probably, I don't know, I like it on the second viewing, but again, ruined, uh, and then no plot, which is it's the bare minimum <laughs> I like from my films sometimes. Plot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil. Let's go with you next. Um, my low light was I rewatched Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, okay. Do you like that? It's cracking. That's brilliant. Keanu Reeves is a tour de force in that. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible acting performance, isn't it, from Keanu Reeves? He saw oh, wolves uh, through blue fire. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when you used to be able to buy VHSs in specially big boxes? They would come with the novel or something like that. Great big boxes. I used to have one of those. And I knew it was a bad film at the time, but quite liked it. Um, and so I rewatched it recently. And um, yeah, we watched it this month. And it's still terrible. Really, really awful all the way through. The only person who seems to know what, it, what Dracula is, is um, Anthony Hopkins. The rest seemed like they have no idea what's going on whatsoever. And I kind of think that maybe maybe he's trying to like do this sort of 
this little journey through because Dracula's been there throughout the whole of film, film history hasn't it and I'm wondering if he's maybe gone we can do like we can do a whole of film history but it's so so boring um, do you, did you like it when you first saw it? Well, I first saw it as a small child so I thought it was great because Gary Oldman yeah. is great and um, then I rewatched <laughs> it in the cinema about three months ago and yeah it's horrific but <laughs> but the scenery's really nice because it was yeah. all filmed it was all filmed on set there's no it, none of the filming took outside like but it was all on set so yeah, that's, that's very yeah, old school that's kind of the problem um, is that i i know i hate yeah. it but i see stills from it and i think god that looks beautiful I've, I, I must have misjudged it i must and then i start to watch it again and usually about yeah. 40 minutes in it just goes off it's so so boring that's the thing. Like the music is brilliant, the way it looks is brilliant, and actually, arguably, the way it's sort of filmed is brilliant. But everything else is so <laughs> horrifyingly awful that yeah, you can't forgive it. You can't forgive it. Oldman's good in it. Is he though? I mean, is it possible to overplay Dracula? I mean, because he just certainly <laughs> seems to manage it. <laughs> so all right, you're kind of hamming up this immortal vampire. I've got to be honest. Sixties John Lennon specs in Victorian. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh god it, that That's bit is so embarrassing like especially the especially like the way the world has gone yeah he goes out in the daytime and basically just uh, he, he sort of um he does that thing that blokes do of just um uh annoying women on the street like he just annoys women <laughs> for ages and ages and ages and she goes no sir no thank you sir no sir go this way i have a husband sir uh, and then after about 15 minutes she goes all ah, right we can have the shag <laughs> it's really out it's of order he's really convincing he's really he's all like you look like my dead wife from many times ago <laughs> which works yeah. on me in Borat. the street <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I wonder how many people he walked up into the street and claimed that they looked like his dead wife. <laughs> you look like my Met dead this wife. girl on the Tinder. She looks like my dead wife. <laughs> Sorry, that's, a, that's really bad. He's starting to sound like Super Mario now. <laughs> it's a me, Dracula. <laughs> Welcome to my home. Have you met my dead wife? <laughs> we, um... I know, I'm just going to tell you this, but when, when we were going to write a sitcom once called My Dead Wife, which was like, um, <laughs> it was going to be, it was going to be like, um, it was going to be like I Dream of Jeannie, or one of those things where like, he would be like, oh my God, the bus is coming round for dinner, I hope my dead wife doesn't spoil anything, <laughs> and she was sort of like, his dead wife would be embarrassing at the, at, at the CEO's dinner. <laughs> anyway, um, my horror, my highlight uh, was a uh, little thing called Full Moon High. Um, oh no! Uh, oh my god! Yeah, I watched it. It's great. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> but it's great. Right? It's genuinely funny. It's genuinely funny all the way through. I really enjoyed it. It's got some iffy bits. Um, I try again to do with sort of sex and gender. Um, and a bit of homophobia uh, but I did quite like it all the way through um, what on earth is Alan Arkin doing in that film like it was like, it looked like it was filmed uh, on somebody's sort of Super 8 camera and then all of a sudden there's Alan Arkin and he's fantastic in it I thought he was brilliant anyway so yeah the highs and lows sorry that took ages but that's my highs and lows I think we're doing werewolves in a few months 
It's Emily's, one of Emily's choices of themes. So, uh, oh, wicked! I'm sure it was. Yeah, and I will get the uh, treatment, the full treatment. Then, uh, my uh, what shall I start with? My highlight. Um, no, I'll start with my low light, which is Shi uh, Yao Jing, aka Devil Woman or the Evil Snake Girl, as it is on Amazon's awful, awful copy of it. Um, which is from 1970. It's about a girl who's born with a head full of snakes for hair. <laughs> Um, and she walks around wearing a headscarf and she grows up to become, for some reason, a Caucasian woman, um, even though she was very much Filipino when she was born, um, and goes back to the village for, to take revenge on the people who killed her uh, family. It sounds really good on that premise, but it's, um, it's one of those films, it's just got too many sort of kung fu interludes, which, CJ, you would love. Sorry, sure, yeah, but... I, I, I don't know what too many kung fu interludes is. <laughs> <laughs> That's never been a problem for me. Every time any group of people meet, they just have a bit of a row, and then it turns into a massive punch-up. It's That's... like, yeah, but this isn't moving the plot along, is it? Um, no, but... That sounds like my things. hometown. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was it was very dull, um, and also like for a film about people being being attacked by snakes, there's not much on screen footage of people being attacked by snakes. It's like people see a snake approach them and go ah, and then it cuts to the next scene, which was very very disappointing. Um, and my highlight was uh, Machia Solari, which is Sunspots, best known as Autopsy, nineteen seventy three Italian. Armando Crispino is a director. Um, it's a kind of Jello psychological thriller kind of thing with Mimsy Farmer, who's always always good in these things. Um, there's not there's not really a kind of murder mystery, although it does focus around a uh, supposed suicide, which might actually be a homicide. Um, the plot isn't really that memorable, but it's just so fucking gruesome, especially for 1973. There's uh, Mimsy Farmer's character works as a um, uh, what do you call them, a pathologist, so she does really graphic autopsies. The, the, the opening of the film is like three suicides and then this really gross autopsy, and then she starts hallucinating zombies. Um, so <laughs> there's a bit later on where she goes to this like crime museum or museum of death, and there's just all these exhibits that are so grim, like um, mannequins in particular positions, real-life death photos, and uh, if you've heard the rumour that when a man hangs himself, he gets an erection as he dies, then I uh, found out from watching this film that, yep, that is the case. And that's a real photograph that's in the thing? Yeah. Fucking hell. All right. There's also yes. a photo of some, someone who died from having like a massive great big metal pole up their bum hole. But there's no, there's no kung fu fights in this one. No kung fu. <laughs> no. no kung fu. <laughs> oh, fuck it, no. No. Just poles up bum holes. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to stick yeah. to the, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, that was autopsy. That's um, yeah, it's well worth watching. It's very, very, very gross, <laughs> gruesome. Emily, you're next. Um, highlights probably uh, Lord of Illusions, Clive Barker film mm-hmm. from the mid '90s. I wouldn't oh, say yeah. it's necessarily good, but it's got some um, brilliantly weird special effects in it, and um, the usual Clive Barker slightly kinky odd stuff. Um, yeah, it's okay. And low light, probably the visit. Um, I don't know why I watched it, and um, I won't. I um, regret that to the, for the well. Ever since I've seen it, I've been regretting it. Let's put it that way. 
What is it? Is that NMI? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The kind of buzz on it was that it was slightly less shit than about the last 10 films that he's done. How does he keep making films? It's mad. It, it is less shit than, than quite a few of his films. It's it's a disappointing execution of a good premise, i.e. the whole kind of creepy evil grandparents thing. But mm. it's, yeah, it's the kids are annoying. It's, um, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know, and you seen Split of his films. Oh, I hate that it, was Split. bad enough to... I, yeah. Split, yeah. I thought The Visit, I, I sort of enjoyed the, the Visit. When I saw it, I really enjoyed it, but then I saw Split and started to doubt whether or not I had even enjoyed The Visit and... I, yeah, <laughs> I don't Is know. Split I, I, feel like I, I, I thought oh, Split was like a return to form. So bad, so so oh, bad. Oh, I'm still angry about Split, and it's been over a year since I watched it. I mean, he he really hasn't made a good film. I mean, really, because because it makes you reevaluate the Sixth Sense, doesn't it? And it really hasn't been. Really, none of them are good. I don't. I can't, I can't <laughs> think. Really, they go from sort of bad to terrible. I liked Unbreakable, but I think I was. A child when that came out and therefore very yeah. stupid. I, I have um, liked some of these films, like Unbreakable. I liked at the time as well. It's I, I it's just... got a baddie you can kill by pushing over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the best bit. That's genuinely all I can remember from that film is um, Sam Jackson just going, "They called me Mr. Glass." They called me. That's right. <laughs> You're full of impressions today, he's aren't you, got, He's got baddies, <laughs> right? It's unbreakable. You can you can kill the baddie by pushing him over. In signs, the aliens are killed by rain. Like they're not like the harshest baddies in the world, are they? It's like you can't kill the Joker just by locking him in a room. <laughs> <laughs> So the happening did teach everybody that you can, Mark Wahlberg can actually outrun the wind because he's that hard. So, um, <laughs> I seen CJ. That okay, um, my low light uh, was a new Netflix original film called Open House. Uh, which I don't know why I watched it. It was just there on Netflix. It said new release. It said horror. And I'm an easy mark, so uh, I watched that. And I think, you know, sometimes, like like Brian says, all you want is a plot, um, and this didn't have a plot, and it didn't even have any bum stuff. So, you know, <laughs> no plot, no bum stuff. It, it had nothing. It was it was just two people in a house uh, and a whole lot of nothing, a whole lot of walking around in the dark with a flashlight. Uh, it's crap. I have nothing good to say about that. Uh, and looking around the internet, I don't think many other people do either. So, uh, yeah, bit of a failure for Netflix. Uh, and then my highlight was I've been going through um, all the new Hammer Blu-rays that Studio Canal have been putting out. So lots of the lesser known Hammer films are now getting the full treatment. Uh, and there was one called Straight On Till Morning, which uh, I thought was fantastic. I've never seen it before. Uh, it's a bit different for Hammer. It's kind of a almost like a kitchen sink drama, but it goes really quite dark. Uh, it's got very unusual editing in it, where it'll just cut from from one scene to another in a strange, not entirely chronological way, uh, which is really the editing kind of overlaps, doesn't it? Yeah, the scenes yeah, kind yeah. of overlap with each other, and, that, and that's really effective. Uh, and Ooh. it's and it's really sad. I, I kind of came out of it feeling like, oh man, that was sad, but but in a good way, you know, not in a but no, like, you know, I'm sad because I just wasted 90 minutes, but in a oh, kind of, you know, that nice, I'm trying to do that noise that's like a nice melancholy, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, oh. <laughs> no, I can't get it right. <laughs> no, it's a good film. Yeah, it's a great film. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. Right. I'm sure you'll agree they were shining examples of highs and lows. Now it is time to get up and running, man, and carry on with this month's theme. Stand by. <laughs> Our features this month are both from 1983 and both directed by suitably king-sized horror directors. First up, John Carpenter's Christine. What do you mean, came back? I'm sorry, Arnie, I can't. I know you're jealous. The kitten's cut in half, Arnie. Riot is over. Bullied teenager Arnie Cuntingham Cunningham finds something positive to focus on when he buys a battered up 1957 Plymouth Fury to do up. But the car has a homicidal life of its own, as well as having a devastating effect on Arnie's personality. So, Christine. Before we start, what is... I'm a big Stephen King fan. Like, I love Stephen King. He, I you know, started reading Stephen King when I was, like, nine, I guess. And I've never read any other authors. Um, I just stick with Stephen King. Um, and I, I think they're all great. I think they're marvellous. And, and I think lots of the films are great. Um, lots of them are terrible, but um, lots of them are great. And Christine is one of the best ones, I think. It's not one of the best John Carpenter films, although I do stick with the um, with, uh, with the saying that um, uh, even the worst John Carpenter film is better than all other films. Um, so even though Christine isn't one of the greatest John Carpenter films, just by the fact that it was made by John Carpenter, it is one of the best films that's ever been made. As far as I'm concerned, um, uh, but yeah, what are your opinions on Stephen King? Are you like do you do you love Stephen King or do you just mildly really like him? You know what? I've I've I managed to read about five ten pages of The Running Man. And I thought this bloke is a shit writer. And I gave up and I looked at anything else. So I, I love I love a lot of these films that we're going to be talking about. You started um, with The Running Man. You, start, you don't start with the Running Man. He wrote he wrote the Running Man in I think a weekend, um, if not a weekend, then definitely a week while he was a teacher. <laughs> like, start it really annoyed. I can remember specifically the thing that annoyed me about the Running Man is that there was an MC who presents the program, the Running Man, and hmm. Stephen King spelled it out E M C E E every time, and it really fucked <laughs> me off. <laughs> <laughs> You have to forgive him an awful lot of stuff. Some, one thing that Stephen King does that I just, I can't deal with it, but I just have to, you know when like, you've got like an elderly relative and they just do a thing and you go, I just, just don't get, I mean, put, park that and let's carry on with the stuff that we really like. Like, you know, all the, all the jolly stories about the war. Um, but Stephen King does this thing where every female character 
Um, he describes what's happening to their breasts at any particular point. So the, the woman walks into a room. He would talk about like her, 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 like her breasts brushed gently against her brows, or like she had a sweater on and her breasts protruded through her brows. Anything, it, it, in the strangest circumstances. But forgive him that. So you, you like the films, but you don't like the books. Uh, I like a lot of the films. Yeah. yeah. And CJ, you hate all of them, is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Stephen King books or films. I think Christine is probably about the best. Um, I, but no, in general, I just don't get on with them at all. I've been really desperately trying to unpack this prior to this podcast because I hate just coming on and being like, oh yeah, fuck Stephen King, man. Because uh, I know he's insanely popular, like the most uh, successful horror author of all time i mean he's pretty synonymous with with horror fiction so you know far be it for me to come and trash him uh but i'm trying to figure out what it is about him and i think i think it's the language that he uses is so folksy and like old timey uh, and, and i think i came up with a weird analogy earlier on when i was uh, i was trying to think about this uh, and this might not make any sense to anyone except me and i might sound nuts uh, but you know like the in the us they have convenience store chains and i think about the the names of the chains and i think like if a regular horror author is a 7-eleven king is a piggly wiggly because like, that's no i know exactly what you mean yeah because that's the kind of language that he uses um and yeah you know i, th- I think i mean you know christine has a, a couple of great examples like uh the way that the the, the bad guy calls everybody shitters i mean shitters. <laughs> who, who calls somebody a shitter it's it, it's a really weird choice of word and it's such a stephen yeah. king word and I don't know if he does it so that it's, he gives his characters these little memorable quirks, but I just find all of his books are like that, and, and it permeates into a lot of the films, and I, I just can't stand it. It just really annoys me. And I think maybe the worst part is that all this kind of folksy Americana, that there's darkness lurking beneath, the reverse of that is that I think he seems to think that that is actually the ideal. That's what you want, is that kind of lovely twee apple pie 50s America um, I, I'm not really He's down with very, that. Very, very hung up on the fifties, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes, Emily, so hung up on the fifties. Yeah. Um, I think well, Christine is probably one of my favourite um, Stephen King adaptations. Um, interestingly enough, I read that it got the movie came out probably a, a couple of months after the book, if that. So it was kind of optioned to be a film around the same time as it was um it was being published but um yeah i, I love um the movie of christine i haven't read the book i've read quite a lot of stephen king books and i like them but they get they get to be quite repetitive for the reasons that cj said there's all the kind of folksy stuff there's also the excruciatingly embarrassing sex scenes but i i do love christine i love um john carpenter's kind of the way that a lot of his 80s films treat sort of really kind of cheesy masculinity mm-hmm. in a sort of a piss-takey kind of way. I love the car repairing itself. I like the cheesy use of the 50s um, 50s songs. Um, yeah, it's just great. And it's got Harry Dean Stanton in, which always makes anything better, as far mm-hmm. as, I, as I know. Bryony? Um, right, well, I kind of dislike Stephen King for personal reasons. Um Mainly because, like, when I was 12, I picked up a Stephen King book and delib- deliberately so I'd be, like, quirky and was like, oh, I'm going to read Stephen King. And then again, yeah, I got, like, 10 pages in and was like, this is awful. I'm going back to Harry Potter. 
Um, <laughs> so you're so young. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what I, so, that's so. what I did with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I read I read the first Harry Potter book and was like, not for me, <laughs> not for me. Go back to because Stephen the King. thing is, I, I, I think about Harry Potter is that I remember the source material, the worst witch. So like for me, like oh. it seems, seems a little bit out of the way. <laughs> Sick burn. <laughs> yeah so not a huge like fan but i i don't know like i do find myself watching films and being like oh it's a stephen king thing and then a lot of my favorite films happen to be stephen king adaptations so without realizing it maybe i am a fan um but i hadn't seen christine until a couple of days ago and i loved it um just because it was quite naff um, right. And I think I've seen it referenced in TV shows and stuff. So it was nice to see the source material of so many references. Um, also, the guy kind of like evolved a little bit into Bruce Campbell, which I enjoyed. Like the more hair, the more his hair got slipped back. <laughs> do, you, do you think Keith Gordon is convincing as a villain, as a hard man? Uh, no. no. He's just, well, he's sort of convincing as someone who's going slowly mad because of mm. a car. Part of the joke is that he doesn't. He's not really yeah. the type. I think that's intentional black humour. Um, yeah, I don't think you is... want him to be convincing. Yeah, you, you want it to look like a pathetic sort of joke. He was so obviously a dweeb, though, from the broken mm. glasses and just, like, everything he wore. And then more and more, it, the 50s came out again and he was wearing the shirts yeah. and stuff. <laughs> but it was just like, it was... I wasn't sure if it was a comedy or not when I started watching it because it was so excruciating to watch Arnie and it was just like... Oh, glasses are broken. Oh, he's got tape on them. Of course he has. Okay, right. Um, also, look, white you know, tape the only as well. Note, Didn't go for black tape. Yeah, white tape. <laughs> the only note I have in my little book um, while watching this film is, why is Buddy 40? This bully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why? He's been held back a lot of years. Jeez, he, he looks can't. like he should be going to Full Moon High. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, my relationship with Stephen King films, it just depends if the if the director's good then it's good because that's ways we're gonna find out later i think but um john carpenter i'm a bit of a john carpenter skeptic i'm afraid uh, um i really like his aesthetic and i love the way that he uses the widescreen and christine headlights with this like huge lens flare filling up mm. the entire width mm. of the frame in the on the night in the nights and i love his electronic music pulsating through it and i love all that kind of stuff but i other aspects of his filmmaking just don't grab me i just find his uh i can't quite put my finger on what it is that i don't get on with them about but it's the same with the thing and it's the same with halloween you know i like the bits that are good i like them a lot and the rest of it i just like i think this is true though it's a similar thing with stephen king is that if you like the hokey sort of localism if you like that sort of aesthetic which i really really do then you love it but if you hate it then there's nothing else but that and it's the same with john carpenter i think it's a really good match because john carpenter if you really like like i do i don't really like films to be realistic i like them to be over the top and mm-hmm. and um funny and knowing and John Carpenter is absolutely all of that stuff I want the dialogue to be insanely over the top like the the, the scene in They Live the very very long punch up scene <laughs> yes. in They Live is yeah. just brilliant it's like it's, 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 it's everything I love about horror films writ large and it just goes on and on yeah. and on it's completely ludicrous and that's just that, that's, that's the thing I, that I like I, I think that's why Christine works for me more than I think any other Stephen King adaptation is because Carpenter is recognised 
recognized the inherent ridiculousness in it and just gone, yep, yeah. I'm going to play with this. I'm going to take it as far as it can go. And it's going to be like a cartoon. Whereas a lot of directors go, oh, no, Stephen King, serious literary business. We're, we're going to make this very serious. And it just jars with how like ridiculous a lot yeah. of this stuff is. Heightened cartooniness of um, Carpenter's approach. Yeah, it, it is a really, really good um, combo of director and um, writer, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the very first scene when it's on the when it's on the um, conveyor belt and it's the only red one, it's so obvious that it's so over the top, <laughs> and it's like oh, I'm yeah. gonna eat you now, and it's like it's almost like it's like oh look at the sexy car because it's like panning <laughs> over the bumpers really slowly. Yeah. It's like oh tempting sexy mad car. But, like, but I love that it, I, it ties in so much with how men treat their cars sometimes in that like yeah. you know that that way that they're very attached to them sometimes and i thought it was interesting because in carrie it's it's a sort of slow pan isn't it across all of those naked girls in the shower and you're sort of invited to um to sort of lech aren't you and it's interesting because christine kind of starts in exactly the same way but it's a car it's just sort of uh, you're sort of invited to to lech on the car aren't you as it's going past and i don't know if it's intentional but yeah, he de- he's definitely doing things that are supposed to be funny. Like when the car crashes and pulls back, it's it's the grill is ripped out into the shape of teeth, and mm, it's so I mean brilliant. it's so cartoonish, um, but but wonderful because of that I think. And if yeah, if you played it straight, God, what a, what an awful film that would be. And so and if it was a if it was a straight film, the characters would be so unlovable that it would be such an empty, horrible experience to watch. Like the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, re- I'm reading the book at the moment, and I've got to tell you, it's just not great. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll get through it. Are any of you Scrabble players? Yeah. You are, right. Badly. Because did, All right, Brian, were you just distracted for the first five minutes after that fellatio scene where he's saying he wanted to play fellatio on a triple word score for 24 oh, points? Oh, yeah. I was really trying to figure out how that would work. <laughs> 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 Twenty four. It sounds like it should be more than that. And uh... I was just impressed that that for me cemented that Arnie was a smart guy because I can never get more than five letters on Scrabble, um, but I am heavily dyslexic, so maybe I fell into the the trap. I don't think I've, I've ever got fellatio on Scrabble either. But um, one question I've got about this this bloody car, right? Is it ever explained why it's all bashed up when Arnie first gets it? Why hasn't it fixed itself? I think to lure him in, because he wants to fix it up. He wants to kind of be its white knight and be like, but, I'm going to fix, fix you herself. up, I'm going to make you sexy, and then, and then he does. Stephen King has a, um, he has form. He ha- There's lots and lots of Stephen King short stories and novels that have evil cars um, being bait. So there's one... Um, there's one where a car, an alien car, drives to the side of a road and just opens its door, and anyone who tries to come in gets literally eaten by the car. So he's got he's got this thing about cars sort of enticing people in some way, and I think it's that. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a Venus flytrap, some way to to trap someone like Arnie Cunningham. See, it's all very very clever. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say. It's because he can I just, relate I just to the wish car. There was some he's gore. like, I'm ugly, and so is the car. And then I'll do myself up, and I'll do the car up. And it's yeah. it's a metaphor for men becoming arseholes or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <it isn't. laughs> I assume that the car hadn't done itself up because it was because um, it was sad and waiting for someone that was in love with it. 
Oh. Yeah, or, or, or it feeds off the destruction of That's... someone's soul. So, you know, as Arnie deteriorates and becomes more toxic. I was going to say, Sage, that would have been a good point for you to try your melancholy sad noise again, see if you get it right this time. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Any better? <laughs> um, yeah, you're getting there, I think. <laughs> Right, we asked you, our lovely listeners, for your top three Stephen King horror movies, and we got loads of votes, so thanks very much if you took part. I have counted and collated them into a top five, and I can reveal that Christine came in joint fifth place, along with... It, the 1990 miniseries, um, which I think probably in the UK most people saw it in the edited three-hour feature version rather than as a mini-series, I think. Uh, you fans? I mean, it's got such a reputation as being, like, the scariest thing ever. If they you should have called it age. shit. That's a good joke. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that, Stephen King, with your million, billion sales. Uh, yeah, I, no, I think right. it's awful. I think it's, I mean, it's like, for one, it's, it's what, you know, nothing should be four hours long. And for another, like, it's all about it's fucking. It's so the, long! It, no, it's all, it's all about little kids again. And I, I cannot stand horror. I mean, this has come up a lot on, on the show. I can't stand horror about little kids unless they're evil, possessed. That's it. Like, if, if it's about the kids as protagonists, forget it. And it is all that kind of, like, wholesome oh when we were kids we used to ride our motorbikes and it's just oh i hate it i hate it it's just mm. horrible and it just makes my skin crawl and then the second half nobody even remembers that and that's like two hours and no, nobody I prefer the second half yeah. i really? prefer the second half yeah it's uh, because because it's not about those fucking kids tr- true but i mean <laughs> I, ju- I just think it's dreadful apart from Tim Curry, and the only reason people remember it is because they watched it as a kid, didn't care or didn't understand about 99% of it, but they just remember Tim Curry as a clown being terrifying. That's that's my hot take. <laughs> I accuse this fucking thing of a lot of infantilization of people around our age when it comes to clowns. It's like, clowns aren't scary, they're, they're yeah, yeah, literally the comedians, thing. just yeah. fucking get over yourself. And stop <laughs> pretending that you're scared of clowns. But but I think I think Tim Tim Curry is a scary clown. The book of it I found really, really scary, but none of neither of the adaptations are particularly up to much. And I think the only reason I found the book scary is because I was really young when I read it. I'd I'd find it scary seeing how many pages there were in it. Don't I'm gonna read that, am I? Stephen King is not nece- it's not generally scary. I found I was thinking about this because um, I because I said before I'm reading all of them. They're not scary novels particularly. Almost nothing scary happens in them. And I saw I, I was reading G- James Herbert some James Herbert novels, and I was like, oh, he's actually trying to scare me. He's trying to say things that are scary. Whereas Stephen King doesn't really do that. There's like there's gore in them, but there's, you would never. There's nothing I don't think has ever scared me in a Stephen King, really book or book or film they're kind of more sort of god i i, I really don't know what it is the what the appeal is <laughs> you're gonna end up hating him by the end of this aren't you i think he has some really scary ideas like like i think if you note down the idea for most of his books on a napkin you could your imagination can do the rest and you think man that is scary that's a ooh, that's a scary idea but then as soon as you read it in his yeah. like hokey prose and you know bloated thousand pages it just loses all that great scariness that's in the ideas but he's a, he's a fantastic ideas guy uh Bryony, um had you 
watched uh, it in your I'd, childhood? You, I not in my well, I watched it about five years ago, um, but I only watched the first half because I didn't realise there was a second half because the second DVD. <laughs> It came in a two DVD case and the second DVD was missing. So I was like, well, this has ended badly. I told um, you, no one cares about the second half. <laughs> well, it's just like they, they do their thing. They crack the spider guy and uh, then it just ends. I was like, oh, that's 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 underwhelming. But um, <laughs> Seth Green is in it, which I liked. That's pretty much all I really recall from it. I remember thinking it was a, not, it was quite quaint. Um, and just Oh, yeah, it's naff. definitely... Obviously, got TV type restrictions on it. Although it's yeah. still quite, they go all out, all out with the special effects. Yeah. In certain scenes, um, I love that bit where the kid gets um, attacked by all the showers. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's really good. And then, um, and the bit where Pennywise, a uh, little stop motion Pennywise, disappears down a hole. I, I really like the effects, <laughs> and it's directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who did um, Halloween, Halloween three, three, and he wrote Amityville two which you'll oh, remember from last really? month is the best Amityville film. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's a good a good guy, Tommy Lee Wallace. And I, I've, yeah, I've pretty much enjoyed, apart from it being 187 minutes long, which yeah, is ridiculous, I did quite enjoy it. More, more than the uh, 2017 version. I didn't mind yeah. the 2017 version. Good popcorn movie. It was, it was entertaining enough. It scared my flatmate, so I... You know, I did that thing where you put a balloon in his room and he got the heebie-jeebies. So it was good for <laughs> that, that annoying thing. people. <laughs> that, you know, it's really, no, honestly, annoying people through balloons because they can't get properly mad. Oh, imagine if he watched Nana's video for 99 Red Balloons. He'd shit himself. It was a good little thing. I liked um, Thingy Skarsgård in it. He was, he was an interesting take on the clown. Yeah, um, I thought he was, was better. Good, yeah. He was better altogether. Well, okay, Tim Curry is obviously brilliant, but I just didn't find it very interesting. The whole maybe because I watched the TV version as an adult and I hadn't seen it as a kid, but I just found it a bit mm-hmm. crap. So eh. I just want one thing. I, I, if I can change anything in the world, I want people to stop spelling the title "it" in capitals. <laughs> Because I always, without fail, read it as IT. And yeah, there was actually a tweet. I saw someone on Twitter the other day. Someone had written, all the adults in IT look like they have the meat sweats from eating at Burger King. And I work in IT, and I was really offended until I realised what they meant it. <laughs> so please, please, it's uppercase I, lowercase T. Uh, right, number four in our listeners' poll. The Mist, 2007, yes. Frank Darabont. Yes. This is a great film. This is a fucking brilliant film. I really enjoyed this. Um, I'd seen it ages and ages ago and then rewatched it and just got so into it, mainly because it's shot like a teleprogram. Because I think um, it's because so, Darabont is the guy who's responsible for the first series of Walking Dead, which is why half the cast of Walking Dead are in this film. Because it was shot by the guys who did uh, The Shield. So it was all like movie moving all over the place. And um, I just really enjoy films where people are trapped in small places and stuff's happening on outside. So it had a very sort of um, Dawn of the Dead feel for me. 
and I liked the ending because it was miserable. I, it made me laugh, the ending. It, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny that, um, spoiler, obviously, it's funny that, <laughs> laughing just thinking about it, <laughs> that he, has, he ends up, he thinks he's going to kill his uh, son and himself. He, he runs out of bullets after he's killed his son. <laughs> and so he has to stay there thinking he's going to get killed by all the monsters and then yeah, the army turn up and then just go yeah it's all done we're finished <laughs> I, I hate that ending so much oh, I, I, hate, I hate I, I hate it because it goes back to what I was saying about John Carpenter having the, the comedy like that is such a stupid absurd ending it's and it funny. should be played for laughs because it's just too silly to take seriously <laughs> and yet the film has such a straight face throughout I mean, I, I really hate Frank Darabont. Like, he, to me, the combination of King and Darabont is, like, the yeah. worst combination that I can think of because yeah, he's is, so sentimental is, and slushy. There's two uh, heroin just, addicts meeting, isn't it, those yeah. two? It's two, like, of the worst parts of Stephen King that you need to be taken away and the worst parts of Frank Darabont yeah. put together. It just is, is oh, an ocean of smelts. This, oh, I, I can't yeah, watch The Green it's, Mile it's because it's like, oh, God, The Green Mile. Yeah. Like, just have <laughs> sex. All of you guards, just have, that's all you want is to have sex with each other. Um, I can't do it. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I think what would make the mist a lot better is if it had fucking about 40 minutes cut out of it because there's no need for this sort of Night of the Living Dead storyline to be over two hours long. Yeah. No matter how much you want to show off your monster effects. God, they were bad. I like the self-contained stories as well where everything just happens in one place a short space of time. But what I like about those is that they're tight and they're intense and they're over pretty quickly. Uh, so yeah, dragging it out to two hours just ruins that intensity. No, so, it needs yeah. to be over ninety minutes. Really, I don't think yeah, that should be the cutoff for for whatever film should be ninety minutes. That should be it should be like a rugby match. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> for extra time. Yeah, that's that's what you get. You get ninety minutes. Play eighty minutes rugby. Sorry. Rugby matches are 80. I, I've never seen a rugby match. <laughs> I, think, I think if you did make films like a football match, so like they're, they're 90 minutes, but yeah. if something complicated happens, you can add a bit of extra time at the end. That'd be yeah, good. Exactly. You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, nice. There's something extra that needs time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, but imagine how long the injury time would be in a slasher movie. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, Emily, have you seen The Mist? I have, yeah. Um, I most I quite liked it. I think it's far too long, and um, the downbeat ending I've got mixed feelings about because I think it's it's quite well done. But I also know what you mean about it being it's almost it's it's not that far away from being uh, kind of a comedy ending. Mm. But I'm quite glad they didn't shoot it as a comedy ending because I think enough people from re- what I can gather from reviews that I've read, enough people were either upset by or kind of completely. Sort of taken aback by the ending. They couldn't just switch tone at the end, but but I think they should have played the whole film at a different tone. To oh, imagine though, if when the army turns up and he realises he's killed his kid for nothing, and he just went. And then he looks at the camera and kind of shrugs. Oh. What am I like? What am I like? You remind me of my dead wife. <laughs> oh dear. Right, let's move on to number three in our listeners' poll. You dirty bird. 
It's Misery, 1990, Rob Reiner. Um, I like it. I like. I love that psychological um, thriller. You know, ex from hell, nanny from hell, um, kid from hell, nurse from hell in this case type thing that was happening around that era. And I think Misery is a decent example. I think it's it's not very hard edged. It's very sort of easy to watch and mainstream and nice and it's too fucking nice already, isn't it? It's just nice. It's a nice, pleasant film. Just a nice bit of hobbling. Yeah. Well, it's got stupid plot points, like where uh, Paul finds that scrapbook that she keeps full of news cuttings that are incriminating about herself. What? You don't have, you don't have incriminating news footage around the place? I've got albums full of incriminating stuff in it. Do you not have that? No? No, I've I'd noticed a penguin turned the wrong way around, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, CJ, you're moaning about this then. Yeah, well, as always, I, I think um, you know the thing with Misery is that again, cracking concept. Uh, there's a few very memorable scenes in in the book and the film that, that stick in your head, like the hobbling, for example, and just the way. I mean, it's a, it's a great. Uh, performance by Kathy Bates um, so that sticks with you but then when you actually watch the whole film and you take it as a story yeah it's full of contrivances plot holes and it's, and that just kind of ruins the excitement it's not very thrilling because you never quite suspend disbelief enough to get on with it I, I don't know and it is very glossy very very for a film that is mostly two people in a room it doesn't need to have that kind of budget and that gloss and that slickness. Ooh. You know, it would have been nicer if it had been grimy. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see a version where Annie's, like, totally sex-crazed and, like, she makes <laughs> makes him, you know, she sits on his face and makes him lick her out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be much better. Fucking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I, and if anyone wants to uh, join the Indiegogo crowdfunder to make that version, then <laughs> the details on the website. Uh, there's, there's, got, there's got to be one already, hasn't there? But if you if you Google like jizzery, that's got to exist. Really. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to think of a title. That's absolutely perfect. <laughs> Frightened how fast my mind goes to this, but Stephen King's jizzery. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about that, it being Stephen King, that sounds quite folksy, doesn't it? <laughs> like, oh, and on Monday, Grandma would take us to the old jizzery. <laughs> that old tumble down jizzery. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I saw that jizzery the first time I came here as a boy. The jizzery on the edge of town. Yeah. My pappy used to call those things the jizzery. Stop saying jizzery. <laughs> My pappy. So, so we go down to the jizzery on a Sunday morning, or of course in, the, in 1953, yeah, right. a Sunday was called a Grunday. <laughs> oh, and then we hid Mama down a well. Oh, God. I can't even remember what number we're on in the chart. <laughs> yeah, well, um, oh man, number two is my favourite. I can see your dirty pillows. <laughs> um, Carrie, of course, 1976, Brian De Palma. I 
absolutely fucking love this. I've got an re- interesting relationship with this film. When I first saw it as a teenager, it didn't do anything for me at all. And I don't know why. I think either I was uh, hoping for a lot of gore or I was expecting a really exciting film about a telekinetic girl who uses her powers like deliberately, which she doesn't in this. Um, and, yeah, it didn't do anything for me. Then a, few years, a couple of years ago, I saw it in one of those entertainment exchange shops and I thought, well, that's two quid or whatever, I'll buy that. High time, I gave it another go. Uh, so I took the empty case over to the counter and the guy took the disc out of the cabinet and he brought the disc over to the counter and he put it in the case and then the cabinet toppled over. Ah. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow. <laughs> and I watched it that afternoon and I loved it and then I watched it again uh, a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this and seriously this has gone into my like sort of top 10 films ever i think it's so so fucking good on every fucking level it's so heart-wrenching because of sissy spacek and piper laurie's performances de palma's use of cinema techniques is incredible just yeah the split screen the fast motion the slow motion the the split diopters all that kind of stuff and that whole prom scene that 25 minute prom sequence it's like time is just kind of putty in his hands when the blood has fallen and you get the kaleidoscope point of view uh, it just feels like time has absolutely stopped and it's it's the most suspenseful thing ever really um i fucking love it absolutely won't hear a word against it apart from i'm sure i'm gonna hear some words (laughs) against it (laughs) <laughs> Who wants to start? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I haven't actually got that many this time in that um, I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it has merit. I, I think I'm kind of you in reverse, though, in that I liked it a lot more as a teenager. Um, but watching it now, there's definitely some issues. I think the prom scene is fantastic. And I think, again, that goes back to the Stephen King great ideas. Everyone remembers the prom scene. Everybody can picture that immediately. Um, but the rest of the movie, not so much. I think Sissy Spacex brilliant. Um, you know, she carries it. But there's not much of a plot, is there? Yeah, good pun. What's that? Good pun. <laughs> good pun. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, that's... But that, there, there isn't much of a plot, no. No, there's not. And, and I think. No, I it's know, it, but I, that I, just makes it just fly by because it's a very small and it is, story. And it is a bit lechy for, for, for a movie that's about teenage girls and potentially uh, metaphorically about their sexuality. It's got a lot of male gaze and I, I find it a little bit uncomfortable, like right from that shower scene at the start where, you know, Sissy Spacex soaping herself up in a way that I don't think any woman has ever done in a public shower. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's just that kind of like, oh, this is a bit like you. And then there's that utterly gratuitous um, detention workout scene where they're all in the gym kits and the comedy music's playing <laughs> and they're, you yeah. know, bobbing up and down. And it's kind of like, What's that got to do with anything? And I don't know. I mean, I guess it it came from exploitation cinema to some extent, that kind of movie. But I, I feel like it's not dirty enough to be full on exploitation, but it's not quite working for what I wish it was. Um, I don't know. Jennifer's Body's a much it better film. Definitely feels lecturous, doesn't it? Yeah, really? well, I first watched it with like three other girls I went to school with when we were all sort of of that menstruating age when we're sort of learning about things like that. So it stuck with me for that reason. And it's the first film that made me feel really uncomfortable, actually, um, probably because of that male gay stuff. But I just, I think because I was a teenage girl watching it with other teenage girls, it seemed very, very relatable. 
um, mm. and we all wanted to be Carrie. But also, I really enjoyed the uh, the heartthrob and his hair, um, <laughs> because it was it was fun hair. And um, again, watching this like years after the fact, it's just it's just very it's again it's a quaint film for me. Like I can't really say anything else other than I find Carrie quite quaint now. People do diss uh, Tommy Ross's hair in this film, but but in the two other filmed versions of it, he's just such a blando that mm. I never yeah. remembered him from one scene to the next. So I think having that hair is mm. it works, I liked his hair. His hair is like a guy I went to school with actually. So it was sort of it, it hit home because I think I had a crush on him, but he had exactly the same hair as as what's his mm. face. So, he looks um, like a guy I went to school with as well, and we always called him the uh, the Blue Lagoon Kid. Because he looked like <laughs> <laughs> um, Emily. Um, I'd agree. I think it, that um, it's kind of relatable if you watch it when you are a teenager. Um, and yeah, the male gaze stuff. Like, because I like the film so much, I always when I, when I watch it, I kind of you know when you like something, you kind of give it a free pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah You're yeah, sort yeah, of constantly makes... like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, but I love this film. It's fantastic, and yeah, I really yeah. do. I think the split screen's brilliant, and um, I think the um, '70s prom suits are brilliant. There's a lot of um, powder blue yes. uh, menswear going on, which is nice. Yes. And um, you get so sort of inve- invested in the characters because the performances are so good that mm. I think if I ever watch it all the way through, I, there's almost part of me thinking, I really want this to be the version where shit doesn't go down and there isn't the bucket of pig's blood and everybody's all lovely. Yeah. Fine, mm. But mm. obviously it doesn't happen, clearly. Watch Never Been Kissed. That has a prom scene like that, but it doesn't. It goes nicely. <laughs> it's, it's a nice yeah it's a nice palate cleanser after carrie mm. never been kissed uh-huh i think have i seen i think I might have seen it. it's got drew barry so yeah and she's she's all like oh i'm i'm a i'm a reporter but i'm going to infiltrate a high school even though i'm in my 30s and they're like come mm-hmm. go for it and yeah yeah oh, if only it had been laura gemser not um drew barrymore <laughs> It'd be a very different different film <laughs> <laughs> emmanuel and the uh yeah, I'm not. I'm not even gonna say. I'm not even gonna say. Never been jizzed because that. Oh, God. <laughs> Down at the jizzery. <laughs> She'd never been jizzed till she went to the jizzery. <laughs> Everyone got their first jizz in the jizzery. Uh, right, and number one of our listeners' poll. I bet you can't guess what it is. Red is it rum. graveyard shift? Red rum. Red rum. <laughs> the shining, oh, of there, course. There was me thinking it was going to be the mangler too. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear our thoughts on the mangler too that was on uh, the pc's gone mad episode episode five <laughs> the thing about the shining is it's great it's really great phil is sat in front of about 50 million shining posters on his wall right now <laughs> and i'm not even making that up <laughs> yeah i'm a big fan of the shining but then everybody seems to be now right it used to be my thing like beards and now everybody seems to fucking like the shining so um <laughs> But the thing, The Shining is an amazing film, and I do love it. But this is about Stephen King, isn't it? Like this is an episode of this podcast about Stephen King, and The Shining isn't. It it just really doesn't feel like a Stephen King film. And I can see why Stephen King hated The Shining. It's because it's so far away. Um, it's so far away from all of the things that make Stephen King Stephen King. What Stanley Kubrick did is he took all of those things and he lopped them off. He absolutely got rid of them uh, and created his own thing with The Shining. So I don't feel like it really should exist as a Stephen King adaptation 
adaptation because it's it's so far away from the source matter that the, the characters and, don't feel like Stephen King characters. Even the setting doesn't feel particularly killed. Listeners voted it their favourite Stephen King adaptation. What does that say? <laughs> well, that's because of all. That's because I think that's because um, The Shining is genuinely one of the best films that's ever been made. It's an incredible film. Um, so uh, I, yeah, I just think that like as a, as a Stephen King adaptation, it's not very successful. But as a film in its mm-hmm. own right, it's one of the best that's ever been made. I, 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 I think. But then I am a massive. I am a massive shining bore. Do you know what I mean? Like I will go on about it, but you don't like it. I no, I I mean I I don't really like Stanley Kubrick or Stephen King. So yeah, for me it's you don't just like a Stanley situation. You don't like no, Stanley Kubrick? Not at all. No, I don't. I don't. Wow. I don't like Hitchcock either. While we're here, <laughs> there you go. Hot <laughs> takes. I'm I'm throwing them out the oven today. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't know. Oh. There's some there's some great images in The Shining. Again, you know, you, you remember images of like Danny on his trike, the twins, the the lady in the bathtub. Great striking images, but as a film, it is just like two plus hours of like Emily for me. Yeah, is it two plus hours of snores? <laughs> yeah, um, I um, I I like it as a film, but I agree, it doesn't feel particularly Stephen King esque, but. Um, yeah, I mean, and also it does kind of um, insist upon itself a little bit. It's like, oh, look, this is like a quality movie. It's not like a horror mm-hmm. film at all. And also all the fucking conspiracy yeah. theories about it are really, really oh, annoying. That documentary. I, I oh. love Room 237. That's a good documentary about a load of idiots. I love that documentary. <laughs> the guy that sounds like he's been smoking weed for about four days that goes, you can tell he faked the moon landings because in the carpet, if you look at it sideways and hit your head on the wall, it says, I done the moon landings by... <laughs> <laughs> and that's definitely what happened. And you just with that, like, oh, fuck off, you're actually putting me off the movie. My favourite one is the guy who says that Room 2 Three seven is a reference to the moon landings because there's two of the same letters, three of the in room and moon, and the yeah. moon is two hundred thirty-seven thousand miles from Earth, which it isn't. It's two hundred thirty-nine thousand. And the moon looks a bit like Stanley Kubrick's face in the way that yeah. it, like all faces. It was just. Oh, it was so bad. There, there was a typo in the first frame of that movie. It says Stanley Kubrick. In, in like the very first title card in that documentary, it says Stanley Kubrick, and I was I saw that in a cinema. And I just thought, oh no, what have I, what have I done? I've paid money to see a film that can't even spell the, the director of its subject. And then it was like just having all the worst people in the pub come at you one after the other and be like, oh, have you heard about this? And oh God, it, I, I walked out. It's one of the few times that I've actually really? walked out of the cinema. After that one bit where the guy was going on about the Minotaur, and he kept oh. saying Minotaur over and over again. And I was just like, I'm, I'm going to like literally rip the seats up if I don't leave. So uh, I left. And that, that to me, that, that documentary kind of cemented my feelings about The Shining. Anyway, I'm going to stop ranting about The Shining now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Brian, uh, I don't feel like either way about The Shining, to be honest. Like, it's one of those films that you're supposed to like. I feel like it might have got to number one because it's the one people have seen. Like... Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's that one that Stephen King film that people go, oh, that's a Stephen King film, I've seen that. So that and it are the sort of the two mm-hmm. ones. That if you were to ask me two Stephen King films, I would say Shining and It. Um, but Kubrick in general, like, I can appreciate him, but again, I think it's like, it just kind of feels a bit shoved down my throat. It's like, this is something you should like. Um, and it's like, no, Dad, I want to watch something else. Mm. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm watching something fun. I want to watch Jizzery. But I mean, um, um, Shelley, Shelley, what's her face is amazing in it. I, I could watch her for hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's great in Popeye too. So they're all amazing. They're all amazing in it. I think they're all there's three really really good performances. I reckon. Yeah, but Shelley's mm. she's um, no one ever talks about how good she is in it though, do they? For some reason, she's amazing. Yeah, and sort of um, slags yeah. her off. I do. She's fantastic in it. Yeah, she is. I love the film. I think it's great, and you can tell that it took over a year to shoot. I think because it's just yeah. so meticulous and exacting. And uh, yeah, so some people might find that a bit cold, but I just think it's a beautiful piece of art. Really, The Shining, very good. Uh, right, well, that is uh, your top five. So thanks for your votes. Our second feature came in at number seven on our listeners' poll, right behind it and Christine, and it's David Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. If the future were in your hands... Taurus is screaming. The house is burning. Would you change it? Hurry up, hurry up. It's not too late. Touch this man's hand, and you are in the grip of The Dead Zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. Johnny Lake. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want to kill your own son? I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. Or of those you fear. I have had a vision that I am going to be president of the United States someday. And nobody, I mean nobody, going to stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? Stephen King, The Dead Zone. A teacher wakes up from a lengthy coma to find that he has visions of strangers' pasts or futures when he touches their hands. Uh, so, Phil, you picked this, obviously. Um, yeah, I love The Dead Zone. I think it's brilliant. Um, it's another one from a director who is genuinely... I love pretty much all of David Cronenberg's films. I think they're all fantastic. It's not my favourite Stephen King adaptation. I think that's like... I mean, Carrie, really, I think is a funner, better, better adaptation than the dead zone but the dead zone is like i think it's the closest to to it feeling like a stephen king novel like the characters feel like stephen king characters the setting feels very stephen king um it has the it has exactly the right tone uh of a of a a stephen king novel if in from my sort of uh, point of view but for some reason it seems to be like it seems to be the exception that proves the rule in this as well because it's played completely straight it's 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 sort of in the ilk of the exorcist isn't it in that they're trying to take something that is completely outlandish and make it seem as as realistic and appropriate as they possibly can and they kind of I, I think he really really achieves that like it does really feel like that man is psychic like you can sort of believe in psychic ability because the characters are so naturalistic the setting is so naturalistic and it's played so totally straight that you do find yourself sort of being sort of um, taken into it plus I mean what a great limp one of the best on screen <laughs> limps there's ever been I mean, the range of that limp is... Ex- I mean, that must be a, a, it's a three-metre-wide well, limp that guy's got. Not, um, not so much Christopher Walken as Christopher Limpen. Yes. Like The Shining, I've, I've got this thing... Like the, sh- the Shining feels like it's got a texture to it. Like The Shining is all orange and rough and matte. And it has this, it has a general feeling of texture throughout it. And the, the Dead Zone's got that. It's cold and hard and shiny all the way through. It's tonally perfect. The tone never shifts. There's never a, a bit where you go, oh God, like suddenly now it's become 
become gross or uh, suddenly it's become funny or something like that. It's perfectly totally balanced all the way through. Yeah, it's never it's, fun. It's never fun. No, absolutely not. It's never. And it has it has moments that I that do make me laugh. Um, but it's mainly because it's mainly out of love for Christopher Walken because there's something so lovely about seeing hearing Christopher Walken going, "The ice is gonna break." <laughs> yeah, it is, Christopher. Of course it is. Um, I love the fact that it's episodic. Like if you don't like the, um, you know, if you don't like this part of the story, then there's another part of the story. Like the the the, the, the serial killer aspect of it, I think, is genuinely scary. Um, and also the, um, the, the 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 visions I think are scary. They're genuinely scary when he's because they because they put Christopher Walken inside the vision, like he's in the bed that's on fire. <laughs> You know, he's sort of a, he's he's watching, he's on the bandstand watching Frank Dodd kill that girl, and I, I, those things actually they are quite affecting and scary. Um, but don't yeah, you find the episodic bear. nature of it means that it never really gets up any momentum? Um, it, it does feel slow and plodding and uh, sort of going through, but to a certain extent, it's about his whole life, so it's um. It feels more sort of a... It, it's a sort of moving through quite a depressing life, isn't it? Like he says he's been cursed, and you do, you do really get the impression that he is cursed. Oh. It's a horrifying mm. life that he has. You know, um, I, I put, it all, put it all down to him wearing a suit to ride a roller coaster. <laughs> no one does that. He's a teacher, though. Like, Teachers have to wear suits. He's such a creepy teacher as well. You know where he gives the little boy a hug? I'm like, don't do that, Christopher. <laughs> don't be hugging the boy whether the ice is going to break or not. And <laughs> don't even go near him, Christopher. Not with that limp. Um, <laughs> uh, I just... I, and it, that, don't you think, though... I mean, fine, fine, it is sort of creepy, but there's, there's a sort of Stephen King archetype, isn't there, which is uh, usually sort of a, a, an older man, a hokey older man. Um, they're all the way through it, you know, like, um, and it, uh, like, like, and in this one, it's the doctor. The doctor is the sort of hokey old Stephen King character. And um, I just think he's so gorgeous, that doctor, you know, the, um, the, the doctor who fled from the Nazis. Herbert like, my heart just fills with joy every time he's on the screen. And I just, I, I just love this film. I think it's a wonderful film. Yeah. Uh, Bryony? Go on then, slag it off. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what? I, um, I went into this blind. I watched it last night for the first time and I, I actually quite liked the sort of slow ploddiness of it and the bleakness because I'm a fan of bleak. Um, <laughs> and I did like it. It was very sort of separately sort of three acts, which I quite enjoyed. Um, the last Cronenberg film I watched was Videodrome and I think that was released just before this one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It was like within a few weeks, I think. Yeah, something like that. I think it was the same year Crazy. or maybe... I pretty much agree with most of what Phil's saying, actually. Um, I liked Sheen as Trump. That was funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was uncanny. Well, you say, you say that, but <laughs> so um, interestingly, on the audio commentary, Kim Newman says that, oh, which, which was recorded about 10 years ago, whatever, he goes, oh, isn't this just like George W. Bush? <laughs> <laughs> so basically any Republican politician. Any arsehole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought his... his performance really made me laugh like because it was so sort of bleak and serious up until that point because um <laughs> that was comedy though that was that couldn't have been played seriously but the fact that he's got a red button that he presses to launch the missile yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's, that's, and that's he how he sees the baby those, and it's like it's just so like oh come on mate like 
it's so cartoon villain like he's gonna grab the baby and it's all gonna be all right because he's grabbed a baby um (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i was a big fan i was like i liked how it was always coming around to winter but yeah again it was just like very it felt very stephen king because it was just like weird thing happening to normal guy and then it had like the weird religious i like the mum and her whole like oh yeah it's been five years and she's what what's the word she's like she's cleaved onto another man Mm. Um, there's only 10 Stephen King characters um, <laughs> and he recycles them all so she's the um, she's the mother in Carrie very much yeah. so she's like yeah, she's no, the overly yeah. religious uh, crackpot mother and he does that again and again and again yeah she's also the, the woman in the supermarket in the mist yeah but they'll, they'll always have an understanding father that just goes now 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 calm down missy <laughs> but then she's like jesus is going to come and rape you and it's the same sort of things that happen all the time i really like the dead zone i hadn't watched it for many years so it was interesting to revisit it i'm a massive fan of uh, cronenberg anyway and i think that his sort of serious kind of clinical dark approach really um serves this story well and also it's got christopher walken being very christopher walkeny um, yeah, it's, um, it's a fine piece of work. And CJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, too, love David Cronenberg. I think there's probably not a better run in the history of cinema for me than just The Brood, Scanners, Videodrome and The Fly. So what the fuck's this doing in the middle of all that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with anything that, that anyone said in terms of the positive things about the film. Uh, you know, it does it does have a controlled atmosphere. Um, it has some interesting moments, but I just found it so dull because it was so episodic. Because there was no. There was nothing to latch onto. It felt like it was a handful of short stories that were sort of okay in a kind of hokey old TV episode kind of way. Um, and they were just strung together in this very serious way uh, and just kind of didn't add up to anything for me. I just never engaged with it. I mean, Walken's obviously great. You know, he tries his best with it. Uh, he really gives it some. Sheen playing the president again, well, the wannabe president in this, but, in, you know, I mean, he every film in the 80s had Martin Sheen as the president, one way or another, which it's great. I love that. It's almost like he was the president. Um, <laughs> but I just couldn't, I just couldn't love it. I, I, I wanted to, but I, I hadn't seen it for years until about a week ago. Um, I remember watching it as a kid when it was on TV and just not really understanding it because I was expecting a horror film, which I don't really think it is it's it's kind of horror adjacent um so i kind of hope that as an adult i'd like it more but clearly my my inner child is still too too outer <laughs> and I, uh, I found it kind of boring like you say it's a very strange one for cronenberg uh, to have done at that point in his career it's um just yeah where, where are the exploding heads where are the mm. you know the vaginas. Where are the where, yeah. I don't mean it, lad. Where, where are, are the, the vaginas? vaginas? Where are the vaginas? They're eh? down there all jizzery. <laughs> I can see what you tried to do, young Cronenberg, but where are the vaginas? I'm not a pervert. I mean the, the vaginas in people's stomachs. <laughs> or armpits, you know. Those sort of vaginas. Yeah. Normal. Like normal people. You've been typing them up for other movies. Um, yeah. But I think my main memory of it is... Um, the, the bit where Frank Dodd kills himself with the scissors by put, putting scissors up his that was fucking mouth cool. and his nose or whatever. 
I had that as a pull-out poster from Fangoria on my wall. What a weird poster. <laughs> a man with scissors <laughs> up his face. My wall was covered in random crap like that. that mm. Nowadays, if you, if you saw a child with posters like that, you'd think, oh, okay, watch him, call the police. But back then, it's all good fun, <laughs> all good, clean fun. Christopher Walken's character, I think if uh, Stephen, when Stephen King next does an Ask Me Anything, I'm going to ask him how long it took him to come up with the name John Smith for that one. <laughs> so, oh, name. that's the point, though, isn't it? He's <laughs> Could be anybody. Ooh. Why can't he be called uh, Buddy Reverton or something cool like that? <laughs> <laughs> so all that's left to say, really, is happy birthday, Stephen King. 70 years old today and five months and a few days on top of that. Because we didn't plan this properly. Shocking twist. So let's play <laughs> Scary Noises. Our teams are now Bryony and CJ versus Emily and Phil, but the rules remain the same. Six pairs of movie clips, music from one, dialogue from another, and one half of each pair will be from a Stephen King film. One point for each one you identify, plus a bonus point if you get both halves of a pair. Now, have you all got your buzzers or whatever? I've got a rape alarm, so I'm a little bit... I'm not sure if I should use that. It's really, really loud. <laughs> it's very loud. It's do you want to test noise. it to see if it deafens us or breaks uh, us before we start playing? That's, oh, that's right. okay. Your I've flatmate's not about to burst in, is he? <laughs> no, I've made a little What's note. Wrong? What's wrong? I know I'm alone. <laughs> Fucking hell, if you're using your rape alarm when you're alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's the only thing I have that makes noise, and it's from an art oh. project when I was a pretentious art school, so it's obviously gold-leafed. Ooh. Oh, wow. Nice. Is that a comment on something? I don't know. I just was blagging it. It was just, I don't know. <laughs> I regret every, every moment. If Donald um, Trump ever needed a rape alarm, that would be the one that he'd have. Well, obviously, <laughs> he doesn't need one because... He is one. He's a walking yeah. rape alarm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, here's your first pair of scary noises. So Chris sent this to me from his girl's friend parents' house. See, that's Andre Haber. Okay, somebody we knew from back in the day. Apparently, he's been missing for six months in some affluent suburb. Yes, CJ. The music is Pet Cemetery. It is. And I didn't actually hear a word of what they said because I was like vibing. <laughs> you were what? Vibing. <laughs> you know when you when you hear a when you hear a, a dope jam and you start oh, vibing. I fucking hate. <laughs> I fucking hate the rains. <laughs> terrible. Uh, right. Okay. Um, Bryony, did you get the dialogue there? Nah. Uh, Emily and Phil, here it is. Dialogue to identify. So Chris sent this to me from his girl's friend parents' house. See, that's Andre Haber. Okay, somebody we knew from back in the day. Apparently, he's been missing for six months in some affluent suburb. Mm, you know, it's so missing to me. That's because we found him, right? But Chris says he's acting real different. Different how? This dude's from Brooklyn. Nah. Uh-uh, don't know. Yeah, it's, um, it's Get Out. It is Get Out. Oh, oh, oh shit! Yeah. Right, here's the second pair. It's always been creative. What? And it's so easy. Just turn it on like this. Don't, don't stand in front of it. Ooh. And this controls the speed, the direction. So yes, Bryony. The music's from The Mist. It is. Yes. Did you get the dialogue? Uh, no, I was vibing. Oh. 
Yeah, <laughs> I was as well. I was like, that sounds so much like Lisa Gerard, and I, I guess it probably was. But I, I was just like, what film? What film would she have sang on? Uh, and yeah, I didn't even listen to the dialogue because I was like. <laughs> right, Emily and Phil, uh, dialogue to identify. It's always been creative. What? And it's so easy. Just turn it on like this. Don't, don't stand in front of it. And this controls the speed and the direction. So when you want it to go, you just press this. You're on your way, Chuck. Don't stand in front of it. I bloody oh, know this. Emily Phil. Oh, dear. Oh, it's Frankenhooker. There is Frankenhooker. Yay. Oh, oh okay. Uh, here's the third one. Knife. What the? Knife. Oh. Quick, quick, a rag. Somebody give me a rag. Hey, that knife's going to rag. Yes, Bryony. Uh, dialogue's from It. No, it's not. Oh, shit. No, I know what it is. It's The Mist again. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, you want to guess it's on the, the music? Stephen King films. They're yeah, also I was, again. I wasn't. Do you know what? I was vibing to the dialogue this time. <laughs> right. Okay. You, you can't vibe to dialogue. <laughs> yes, you can. It's rap music. Uh, CJ, did you want to guess on the music? Is it Full Moon High? It's not Full Moon High. Phil oh. and Emily, music and dialogue to get here. That knife go rabbit on you, sweet thing. Well, it's really Short circuit, maybe. Oh, there it goes again. No idea. Not a clue. No, nothing. No, sorry. Uh, the music was from Phenomena, and the dialogue was from Maximum Overdrive. Oh, I was, oh, was going to have a guess at that. Yeah, me too. So, scores halfway through, uh, 2-1 to CJ and Bryony. Here's number four. How many hours have you been chained to that bed? You never heard me breathe, not once. I know, I know. Emily? It's Gerald's Game, is the dialogue. Yeah, did you get the music? No, because I was vibing to the dialogue. (laughs) 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 Uh, Phil, did you get the music? No, I didn't, no. Okay, uh, Bryony and CJ, uh, the music to get here then. How many hours have you been chained to that bed? You never heard me breathe, not once. And you know the sound? You've heard it every night for the last 11 years, a tiny rumbling snore I make in the back of my throat. Sometimes I'm making a lost of thought. I forget myself, I zone out. That tiny little Gerald-only fucking purr. Hours of not hearing that sound. No? It sounds so no. familiar. No. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, God. Oh, of course. Here's number five. My brother who died. Yes, George. He didn't just die. He was... murdered. Why didn't you ever tell you? Phil, yes. The dialogue is It. It is from It, 1990, yeah. Did you get the music? Oh, no, one thing at a time, Jesus. Uh, Emily, (laughs) any idea? No, I didn't, sorry. Okay. Uh, music for CJ and Bryony to get. My brother who died. Yes, George. He didn't just die. He was murdered. Why didn't you ever tell you? Because I forgot. Because I forgot. 
promise this has never happened. I know this doesn't make any sense, but I have to go. For God's sake, why? Because we made a pr promise. It's a vibe. It is a good vibe. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm, really annoyed. I'm going to go with demons. No, it's critters. Oh, wow. Okay. Ooh. Crazy. And the sixth one, I just love the way these sound together. Oh, the scores, by the way, as we move into the final one, are 3-2 to Emily and Phil. So here's the final one. The lips from B and C and the ends of A and B are cut circular along the border between skin and mucosa. Yes, CJ. Is the dialogue from Autopsy? No. Oh. Do you want to guess the music? God, I've done too many guesses. Brian, are you ever go? Oh God, um, no, I was focused on the on the uh, dialogue. Okay. All right. So Emily and Phil. The lips from B and C, and the ends of A and B. Oh. Um. Yeah. So Phil. Was it's, it's a human caterpillar film of some description. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> the very hungry human caterpillar. The human centipede first sequence. Oh, human centipede. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of them. It's one of them human caterpillar fighting fights. There is a human caterpillar in um, Human Centipede Three, though. So you know, Tom Six thinks of everything. <laughs> and did you get the music at all? Uh no. Emily, want to guess no, the music? No, not got a clue. Sorry. Uh, that, was, that was from Cujo. Oh, but that's a good one. You win four two. Well, that's your Salem's lot, folks. We've been very, very mainstream this month. But next month, we're going super weird as we enter the bizarre world of Chinese black magic. Our features will be The Boxer's Omen and Devil Fetus. So why not watch them over the next few weeks and you can hear what we think about them in the next episode. <laughs> I refuse to watch a film called Devil Fetus. Oh, yeah, it's great. Wait, wait till you see it. It's brilliant. <laughs> Where the hell am I going to get my hands on Devil Fetus? To nip into HMV? <laughs> Please let us know what you think of the show, the format, the kind of stuff we cover, whatever you want to tell us. dx5podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Letterboxd. And this month's bombshell is that there's no bombshell. We will all be Yay! back in March. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you.